So it is December, which makes sense, uh, the temperature and all. It's December and, ready for this, 20 days until Christmas. 20 days. Okay, which means 19 days until Christmas Eve service, 3.30 p.m. in there. Don't miss that. That's really fun. We'll be inside, and there'll be candles, and it's fun, and uh, that's coming. So this is, a, this is a question for the kids in the group this morning. Uh, what is the best thing about Christmas? Come on. Sophia. Spending time with my family. Who is this kid? All right. Any other answers, kids? What's that? I think I heard presents. Did someone say presents? Presents. Okay. All right. Yeah. Noah, what are you thinking? Yeah, presents. Okay. Yeah. You know, I thought if I asked the parents or the adults, everybody would say, well, time with family, um, you know, the Yuletide carols, something like that. I was looking for gifts, gifts, right? Because that's, hey, when you're a kid and maybe a kid at heart, gifts are pretty fun. And um, I was thinking about some of the gifts that I received as a kid. Here are some all-time classic favorite gifts that I received as a kid. Uh, Number one was the big wheel. That was fantastic. I put a lot of miles on that baby, and it had the handbrake that you could, like, skid out. Anybody? All right, all right, okay. And then I got a little bit older, and the next big gift was, anybody know what that is? Yeah, Atari, yeah, Atari 2600. Woo, beauty. Uh, That was a fantastic gift. And then like 14 years ago, um, and wow, this is the gift that keeps on giving. Like every morning. It's, It's a fantastic thing. Oh, sorry, it's an it's a espresso machine. Yeah, yeah, it's, I know it so well, I assumed you would know what it is. Yeah, I wake up, uh, this is what gets me out of bed. I go to it. Um, it's already usually on because Becky gets up earlier than I do, and she turns it on, and it's sitting there, and it's kind of sputtering and hissing. It's alive, it's awake, and then I, you know, grind the beans, and that buzzing sound, it's like another alarm clock, and then... You know, I put it in the portafilter, crank that thing on, and then when the light is green, push it, and dark, magical deliciousness comes out. Okay, I'm on a tangent there. Great gift. On Christmas, we give gifts, and we receive gifts. Isn't that a cool thing? That's just spectacular. We're we're generous, and we're receivers as well. And it's because, and sometimes I forget this, it's because this is the day that God gave you and me the greatest gift. Like, he gave us this wonderful, amazing gift, and the gift that everyone needs, and we received it. Those who know what Christmas is really about, it's receiving this great gift from God. And let me give you one of the shortest versions of that Christmas story that I know in scripture. Maybe you know a shorter one. If so, let me know. But this is the shortest one I know. It's in Galatians 4. All right. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, born in Israel, to do something, to redeem those under the law 
that we might receive another gift, that we might receive adoption to sonship and daughtership, adopted into God's family. The gift that God sent us is his son. That's the greatest gift. The unique son of God, the promised son of God, the long-awaited son of God, the gift of God from God. And that's the name of the Christmas series that we're starting today, The Gift of God. Jesus is the big G gift of God. And then through Jesus, he brings many other gifts. We talked about one already, redemption. He brings the gift of redemption. What are some other gifts that come through Jesus? Maybe you've experienced or that you've received. What are some others? Loud. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. That's a huge gift. Thank you, Jesus. Not only did you come, but you won forgiveness for me, and you offered that to me. Thank you, Lord. What else do we have? Mercy. Mercy. Yes. Yes, we needed mercy. Love. Peace. Peace. Yeah, peace with God. Wholeness of relationship with God and peace with others. Salvation. Yeah, from death to life, from separated from God to united with God, alive in him for eternity. Yeah, and there's more gifts to come. We've got this great inheritance waiting for us in heaven. I don't know what all that means, but it sounds good considering what he's already given us. All right, now, uh, nobody said the one that I'm thinking of today. Uh, how about in the mixer? Did anybody come up with the word, like one of the favorite characteristics of Jesus? Uh, did humility, was humility mentioned? Charlotte said it. Man, that's 10 points right there, Charlotte. That's fantastic. Humility, such a, like, not an obvious one. I mean, and a strange one, really, when you think about the greatness of God. The gift of humility. He comes in humility, but there's also a gift that he wants to give you. The gift of humility. And we're going to look at that today. That is our focus today. The gift of humility. So let's look again at the Galatians verse. And this phrase in there, when the set time had fully come. What does that tell you? Who set this time? God the Father. The The set time. God planned this out. The timing wasn't, you know, just random. God planned it. It was set. And when the set time had fully come, um, let me me tell you about that time. We, We see more detail. Longer story of the Christmas story is in Luke 2. Let's look at some more details about this set time. Luke 2, verse 1. In those days, at that time, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And there's more here. It's not in your bulletin, but listen. And everyone went to their own town to register. Everyone in Israel went to their own town to register in the whole Roman Empire, actually. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee, up north, to Judea, down south, near, near Jerusalem, to Bethlehem, the town of David, 
Why? Because he belonged to the house and line of David. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. That is the set time. Now, we could buzz through that pretty quickly, but there's something really fascinating here. The time of Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus, born Gaius Octavius, also known as Octavian. He was adopted as son, as son and heir, by Julius Caesar, dictator of the Roman Empire. When Julius Caesar was Caesar's heir, and there was a fight over the throne, uh, who's going to control the Roman Empire? There's wars, there's civil wars. Eventually, he gained full control of the Roman Empire after defeating Mark Antony and Cleopatra. And the Roman Senate, around this time, gave Julius Caesar, who was dead, the status of divine. They, they put him in their pantheon of gods. So Romans were polytheistic. They had many different gods. They attached that to Julius Caesar, and they put him up there with divine status, named him as a god, which would make Octavian what? Son of God. Ooh, Divi Filius. Isn't that interesting? Um, the Roman Senate then gave Octavian the title Augustus, Caesar Augustus, which means exalted. You get the theme here? Octavian Augustus, he liked to refer to himself as the son of God. It helped his panache, his, his status, right? Romans are very status-oriented. It's a very competitive society. You know, it's the, it's the strong over the weak. It's uh, dominate others. It's take. It's, it's military power and force. So he gives Augustus the title, uh, the title exalted. Caesar becomes a word that becomes the word emperor. So Caesar Augustus, exalted emperor. Son of God. Isn't that weird? Isn't that interesting that God chose that set time to do the thing that he was going to do? So Caesar Augustus, he was emperor for over 40 years, like a long run over this Roman Empire. Let's get a picture of the Roman Empire. There's a map of it. Next slide. All right. Might be a little difficult to see, but it is extensive. It's a massive empire. The Mediterranean Basin covers Western Europe. France is in there. What would become Germany is in there, uh, at least part of Germany. Uh, we got Italy. We got Greece. We got uh, Turkey, what we call Turkey today. Egypt down northern Africa. It's massive. It's powerful. It's growing. And how did it grow? Through military conquest by dominating, by strength, by power over, through slaves. It was, it was maintained a slave uh, economy. And uh, Caesar Augustus, he stayed in power uh, because he thought he was amazing. Um, and through bloodshed, and through murder, and through marriage alliances. He was married three times, dumped a couple wives in the process, through political maneuvering. One of the gods that uh, Caesar Augustus worshipped was the god named Mars, who was the god of war. So this is the set time. This is the context. This is a, the historical setting into which God decided 
to send his son. God most high, the true God, creator God, decided to send the true son of God. It was a time when your first fill in here, when Israel, God's people, were humbled. Humbled after centuries of being dominated by foreign powers, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, and now the Romans. Same time, the Roman Empire was exalting itself over others. This is the set time. Of all the times in world history, God chose that time to display his greatness. Well, let's see how God's greatness, the true God's greatness, true greatness is displayed. Let's look at how he sent his son. And this time we're going to look from the vantage point of the son. So God is eternally Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And when the set time had fully come, though he, Philippians 2.6, though he, the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, the eternal Word of God, was in the form of God. So he starts there. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God, that position with God, something to be grasped and held on to at all costs. But he did something else, something radical, something unexpected, something not Roman. He emptied himself. God, the eternal Son, lowered himself intentionally. God, who is truly great, emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. In the Roman world, the servant was the bottom. You could do anything you wanted with them. He took the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He took on human flesh and made his dwelling among us. He added human nature to his divine nature, flesh and blood like us, born of a woman as an infant, dependent on his mother, small, cold, vulnerable, humble, humble like no other. This is how God decided to display his greatness in his humility. That is, I don't think of that as great. But when I hear it, I'm like, yes, that is true greatness. The truly great one lowered himself, humbled himself like this. God's amazing humility. And God, as he likes to do, he takes it even further. God's humility did not stop at his birth on coming into the world and taking on human f flesh. It continued. Philippians 2.8 And being found in human form, he humbled himself even more. He humbled himself by becoming obedient, submitting himself to the plan of God, to the will of God, to the Father, by becoming obedient to the point of death. Is there a lower place? To the point of death. Even the most humiliating, humbling death of all. Death on a cross. 
the highest one to the lowest place. Intentionally, willingly. This is how God sent his son in the context of the Roman Empire. God's humble sacrifice for you did something for you. It gave you another gift, the gift of redemption, of salvation. He did this for a purpose. He did this to accomplish something, to give you the gift of life, to move you from dead in your sins to alive with God, from condemned to forgiven, to separated from God and perishing to united with God, with his Holy Spirit springing up in you to make you alive again for eternity. Next fill in God's humility. His humility accomplishes something great. It brings you the gift of salvation. That is the power of God's humility. I don't think if humility is powerful, but God displays his power in and through his humility. That is the gift of God. And it doesn't end there. It doesn't end in that lowest place. It continues, verse 9. Therefore, God the Father, God has highly exalted him, exalted the Son of God, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and earth and under the earth, everywhere, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the highest one, the true God. And this brings glory to God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because of God's great love for us, displayed in his humility, his humble death for us, we see something, we learn something. We see that God most high, all-powerful, is also good. He's good. And that goodness, that kindness of God draws us to him. He woos us through his kindness and his grace and his mercy, his offer of peace. And when we see it, we, and when we receive it, we willingly, freely, eagerly even, bow down and worship him. We submit ourselves we humble ourselves before this truly great God. Not just great in power, but great in mercy and humility and kindness. This is God, displayed in the humility of Christ. Sign me up, man. Now, when we honor God in this way, we bring glory and honor to the Father as well. We become rightly related to God. Question, have you humbled yourself like this before God? Have you come to that point? Have you bowed the knee? Have you confessed freely, eagerly that, yes, you are Lord, you are good? Have you received the gift of salvation that came through God's humility? If not, or you want to know what that looks like more? 
We're going to go through this prayer again. We did this recently, but I, it just fits. So let's, let's look at what it looks like to humble ourselves before this great God who humbled himself for us. We first, number one, we humble ourselves by believing. Belief takes humility. Believing a message, listening to a message and believing it takes humility. We did this um, recently, but again, here we go. Uh, let's look at this. You can pray this with me. You can pray it out loud. You can say it in your heart. You can just read it with me to understand it. This is what humbling ourselves before God looks like. Number one, believe. It's, it's saying, Jesus, thank you for loving me enough to come and die for my sins on the cross. I believe that you are the sinless Son of God who died and rose again. I believe that you are offering me eternal life. You're offering me the thing I need. That's a, that's a humbling yourself before God. Believing this, receiving this, is humbling yourself before God. It takes humility to understand, to wrestle with these truths. And if you're, if you're not there yet, you're not like, I'm not there, I'm not quite. I encourage you to be humble enough to keep listening, keep going into his word, keep listening to him. Be teachable. Just acknowledge you don't know everything. Acknowledge you may have had it wrong. We have a lot of things wrong. Be teachable, be humble. That's belief. I grew up in the Catholic Church, and I, you know, I, I heard about Jesus, and I learned about him, and then I got into high school and college, and other things drew me, and... Um, then I pursued like philosophy. I was interested in the big questions of life. And so I looked everywhere else. And, you know, I, I thought I knew what Christianity was. Like, no, that's, that's my parents' thing. That's their thing. Then I met some Christians who were really interesting. They were good. They were fun. I enjoyed them. I liked them. And they made me curious, again, to look at him anew, to look at Jesus. They encouraged me to read the Gospel of John. I'd never actually read the Bible. So I did that. And it was, I read this book they recommended. So I'm being humble. They recommended this. I was like, yeah, okay. I read this book called C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity. And I, I realized that, wow, Christianity is reasonable. There's reasons to believe. To believe takes humility, willingness to be teachable. And I discovered, wow, I didn't know what Christianity was. I really didn't know Jesus. I knew a glimmer of him. But that, that grew when I was humble. Belief takes humility. And belief, trusting that God's word is true, is necessary to be saved. And after belief, more humility for us. More humility in the form of a confession and repentance. Of actually turning direction turning away from the old and turning to the new. This is what it looks like, this next part. You can read or pray this with me. Repent looks like this. Like saying, God, you know, you know all my sins. I have sins. I've done things wrong. You know them. You know them all. I acknowledge that. I have sinned against you. The things that I did that harmed others that were wrong, they offended and harmed my relationship with you. And I need your forgiveness. I need it. 
I need to be restored in right relationship with you. And that means I need your pardon, your mercy. I need your forgiveness. You hear that humility? I need. I'm sorry for all my sins. I'm sorry for them. I regret them. I wish I had done differently. I'm sorry for my sins and I turn away from them. And now to do what is right, what is right in your eyes. See, I'm submitting to him, his wisdom, his way. And I want to live according to your ways. This is humbling ourselves before God. And then the next step after that is receiving this, fully coming under his lordship. Listen to this. Receive. Jesus, I invite you into my life. I welcome you in. I need you. I want you. I invite you into my life. Please come into my heart and be my savior. You're the one that saves me from death and separation from you and, and sin. Be my savior and Lord. I trust my life into your hands. Rule over me and lead me. Please make me into the kind of person that you want me to be. That's humility. That's humbling ourselves before God who humbled himself to save us. The next fill in, humble yourself before God to receive the gift of his salvation, his salvation. God's humility made it possible for you and me to have life with him forever, to get on the right track. And your humility is required to come into that new life. And then, there's more. God's got more gifts for you, more goodness for you, more blessings for you. You're just getting started. Next is to continue to follow Jesus daily. Daily, he's got something for you. Every day. But it's going to require humility. A continuation on this humble path. The daily task of following Jesus is the humility of your way, Lord, over my way today. What do you have for me, God? What's on your agenda? I'm willing to go where you lead me today. In this conversation, I'm willing to respond the way you want me to respond. I know my natural way. It's not always the best. So what are you saying? What's the right way forward here? How do you want me to be in this setting? Sometimes it's just, Lord, help me. I am at the end of my wits. Lord God, help me. That's humility. You're recognizing what's real. You're dependent on him. You need him. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus daily. Listen to Jesus' words in Luke 11. Jesus was, uh, this is during his teaching ministry. He's going around Israel. And as he was saying these things, as he was teaching the crowds, a woman in the crowd called out, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. Anyone ever said that to you? <laughs> I've never heard that word. So someone says this to Jesus. She's, she's saying, man, 
Your mother was blessed to have you. He replied, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God, who hear it and obey it. Those are the ones who are blessed. He redirects her. Do you want to be blessed? Do you want to receive more goodness from God? Blessed are those who hear his word and do it, who obey it. And that takes humility. I don't know the best way. I've tried that 13 times. Same result. And then this gift of humility, as it takes root in your heart, and you start to relate with humility toward God, and you receive those blessings, one of the things that happens is that that gift of humility gets pushed out further. It gets passed on forward through you and me. Because one of the things that Jesus will teach you to do if you submit yourself to him is to be humble toward others. To be humble with them like God is humble with you. Here's an example, or here's the, here's the headline, 1 Peter 5. All of you, brothers and sisters in Christ, followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, all of you clothe yourselves, not with an, a magnificent, splendorous, is that a word? Splendorous robe of sparkliness, but all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Because God opposes the proud. He actually goes against the proud. But shows favor to the humble. Shows his, his favor, his grace, his kindness to the humble. Jesus our Lord, next fill and calls us to be humble toward others, toward each other. Now what does that look like? How do we extend that gift of humility to others? A few examples. Back to Philippians 2. Back to Philippians 2. Verse 3. This is actually before that we hear about the descent of the Son of God for you and me. It starts off, verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. In other words, don't be conceited. Don't act like you're all that. Arrogant. Don't be self-centered only focused on you, what you want, what you need in that moment, what you prefer. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Oh, that's, that's unnatural. That's a flip. Instead of putting people below you and getting your way, God is saying, you, lower yourself to understand, consider what they want and what they need. And lower yourself even more, sometimes, more regularly, to this position where you're going to support them and let them have their way. Some of you are very good at this. You're humble. Some of us like to have things our way. Jesus is saying, no, no, lower yourself like me and be a blessing to others. Give, serve, lift up, look after others, even before yourself. 
Jesus is not saying be a doormat. Jesus is saying do what I did for you. In love, although he was in the form of God, he lowered himself to serve us, to bless us. Now we get to do that with others. In summary, next fill-in, don't put yourself first. Look after others. This is so anti-Roman, I tell you, man. The Roman way was climbing up, shoving down, dominating. The new way is seeing what others need, considering what they want, looking at what's important to them. That's being godlike. That's actually true greatness. The Romans thought humility was uh, offensive. That's how, when they killed somebody on the cross, their intention was to humiliate, was to humble you, to bring you low. And yet, surprise, God through that actually is exalted. So that now, the Roman Empire, where is it? 2,000 years later. Poof, there's some, there's some ruins you can go see in Rome. They're pretty cool, but they're falling apart. There's just bits and pieces left. Caesar Augustus, where is he? Dead, gone. Of God is where? Everywhere, man. You can't go to a country in this world and not meet somebody who has bowed the knee to Jesus as their Lord. There are people who reverence Jesus as King of Kings and Lord of Lords all over the world. Different languages. Way more extensive. And it's lasted a lot longer than the Roman Empire. So far, 2,000 years. And you can backtrack that to Abraham, 2,000 more years. This thing is gone. This is big. Still going too, man. It's growing strong. Here it's kind of holding steady. But in Africa... Asia, South America, boom, this thing is, is spreading. Not by military force, but by people tasting and seeing that God is good and saying, yes, I need that, I want that, and humbling themselves, freely choosing to humble themselves before God, believing, repenting, receiving. How do we grow in being humble? God wants us to be like him. First, don't put yourself first. Look after others. Next one, James 1. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Listen up. Everyone, all of us, should be quick to listen. Quick to listen to each other. Slow to speak. Anybody that difficult? But words are coming out. Slow to speak, quick to listen. This is how we can be humble toward each other. So next fill in, listen well. Listen to each other. Give each other, give others that time and space to hear, to understand, to be with them, to come alongside them, to see things their way. That's humility. That's a gift. That's a gift that you're giving somebody. It's loving. If you are not humble, you are not loving. It takes humility to love. 
to put others first, and now to listen well to each other. Listening well means you don't assume that you know already. Oh, I know what you want. I know what you're going to say. I know what you think. I know what you expect. No, it's asking questions instead of just talking all the time. I'm preaching myself here. Don't speak up and over people. Do you have a tendency to do that? Be slow to speak, quick to listen. Do you finish people's sentences? Wayne, be slow to speak, quick to listen. Do you interrupt people? Slow to speak, quick to listen. Listen well. It takes time. It takes patience. It takes humility. It takes realizing, hey, that person might have something for me to hear. God might want to show something to me through that person. All right, we're going to skip number three, how to be humble with each other. Um, it's seek prayerful input from other disciples. That's a good thing to do. But I'm going to go down to number four, James 5.16. Humble yourself before each other. How? Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. Has anybody ever done that? It's humbling. It's vulnerable. But it, there's a gift here for you in this. Confess your sins to each other. Another word to, way to say this, uh, number four, acknowledge your sins and flaws to each other. Own it. Apologize. Don't pretend you got it right all the time. Don't pretend you, you did that well. You make mistakes. Stop covering it up. Confess. We all struggle. We're all flawed. Oh, I can't do that because then people will, will think I'm here instead of here, and I like people to think I'm here. No, people, people, we actually see each other pretty clearly. Just acknowledge who you are. Acknowledge your struggles and get prayer for them. Man, you confess to get, to get prayer to help me, to get help. To go to God together. Let's be real with each other. We can be real. Stop hiding. Let's stop pretending. Acknowledge your sins and flaws. That is a gift of humility. And when people are like that with you, you realize, oh, I can be like that with them. You bring relationship. God comes in humility to save you. And he's changing the world through it. To receive that gift, God calls you to be humble before him. And then part of that means being humble toward each other. Receive the gift of humility. Give the gift of humility. 